In 2007, Pastor Neil Shorey sat down with a woman who had come to him for marriage counseling. She confided in him some alarming news about her husband. You probably recognize her name, Stacy Peterson. Not long after that conversation, Stacy went missing and still has not been found. Today, Pastor Neil Shorey joins me on the podcast to share what he wishes he had known about intimate partner violence and what friends and faith community leaders need to know to be safe places for those who may not even know they're in danger. This episode contains content that may be difficult for those who have experienced violence or who are sensitive to mentions of abuse or intimate partner violence. Please take care when listening. I'm Amy Fritz, and you're listening to the Untangled Faith Podcast, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all that is not good or true, this is the place for you. A couple of years ago, I made a decision that changed my life and my relationships. I started going to counseling, and I'm so glad I did. If you've been considering getting started with counseling, Faithful Counseling makes it so easy. I know you don't like talking on the phone, so it's good news that you can start the process without even picking up the phone to talk to someone. The Untangled Faith Podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon. It is also brought to you by Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with more than 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states with access by video or phone sessions or chat or text. There are therapists with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, and more. You can ask for a new counselor at any time, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Fill out a questionnaire, and you'll be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. I wanted to give you a note here at the front of this episode that there is bonus audio from my conversation with Neil Shorey that I've shared with my Patreon community. You can find it at patreon.com slash untangled faith. If you haven't already signed up on Patreon, you can sign up today and access all the bonus material I've shared over the last several years. Over the last several weeks, there's been reporting regarding the well-known conservative commentator, Stephen Crowder, and the dissolution of his marriage. A video was leaked showing him berating his wife, and what I saw alarmed me. Also of great concern to me is that so many outside observers don't have a grasp on the dynamics of abuse. I decided that this was a good time to do a show talking about some of the misconceptions about abuse, and particularly what friends and faith community leaders need to know about intimate partner violence. I'm so grateful to have Neil Shorey join me today for this crucial conversation. You had a high profile situation that happened that had a brush with intimate partner violence that you like saw up close. And I just love it. If you could give like a brief summary of what that is, if people don't know who you are, Neil. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So, um, to, to sort of the abridged version of my story is that, um, I counseled a woman, um, in my church, um, in my capacity as a counseling pastor for a large church in the suburbs, Chicago suburbs. And um, basically, I met with her and her husband, sometimes individually, sometimes together, Mm -hmm. uh, probably five or six times over the course of about 18 months. And um, I definitely saw things that were concerning. um, But the the weird part about it to me at the time was that uh, she was very dismissive of those things, even though um, uh, Stacy, Stacy is the woman that I counseled. Her name is Stacy Peterson. Mm-hmm. And she would tell me things that were clearly concerning, but then I'd be a little bit confused by it because then she would um, almost every time just sort of minimize it and say, well, mm-hmm. he's jealous because he loves me. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, I, I, I've got a master's degree in counseling. Um, I went to seminary and I never had any training in terms of abuse, which is a real yeah. big miss, right? Yeah, it's a yeah. huge miss for seminary. So that's something that I, I care a lot about as well as helping helping seminaries catch up and, and give real life um, education yeah. around subjects like like abuse and and all, all these issues. So um, I, I met with Stacy, like I said, uh, and her husband, Drew Peterson, um, who at the time was a sergeant in, in the Chicago suburbs uh, yeah. at a large police department. And um, she told me a lot of different things. And, and I had moments where I thought, gosh, this is so uncomfortable. 
Um, they often sat right next to each other um, and I'd ask her a question. It was really common for, for her to quickly glance over at him before she answered. And it was really common for her to almost wince when I would ask her a question. And, and I, I got the sense that he was maybe squeezing her leg under the table or pinching her or doing something mm. to, to keep her from saying what she wanted to say. And um, often he would answer for her. Um, and at one time um, at the start, I just said, hey, you know, Drew, thanks for your response, but I didn't ask you. <laughs> and that definitely Ooh. didn't win me, didn't win me any points with him. I imagine um, that. So I'll fast forward it to the, the very last meeting that I had with Stacy. We always met in public. Uh, that's, that's what I do with almost every single counseling session that I have. Coffee shops around here know me very well. So we met at a local Starbucks and um, Stacy had asked me the day before if, if I had any availability the very next morning. I remember looking at my calendar and I did, which was strange. Yeah. So I just thought, yeah, I've got, yeah, I'm going to say yes, I've got to do this. So we met um, probably 8 or 8.30 in the morning, talked for about 30 minutes about all the things that she really had shared before, nothing really new. And then she looks at me and she said, I think I want to tell you something. And I, I just got this sense that there was there was something more. And she she sort of went around the she kind of looped for a couple more minutes yeah. and then she just blurted out suddenly. She said, he did it and and like yelled it out, then just got really quiet. Her body language closed off and she had tears streaming down her face. And I just said, He did what? There was no context. Yeah. And she said, My husband Drew killed Kathleen Savio and made it look like an accident. Mm -hmm. And Kathleen was the previous wife. Stacy was wife number four of Drew Peterson. Kathleen was the third wife. And um, most of the people in our area knew, even in my church knew, wow, very unfortunate that Drew Peterson had a 40 year old wife die um, in, a, in a dry bathtub. But, you know, mm -hmm. I guess it was just an accident. Yeah. Um, it, it sounded weird, but you, you sort of trust the authorities, unfortunately. To, to like do their thing and, and figure things out properly. Um, well, it turns out they didn't. Mm. Um, they, they didn't do that. So that is the start of my kind of entrance into this very, very heavy subject of domestic yeah. violence. And then my understanding is that's the last conversation that you had with Stacy. Yes, it was. Very last conversation. And then um, two months later, she disappeared. Mm. Um, and to this day, still has not been found. Man. Yeah. That will throw you right into asking some serious questions of like, what could I have done? What oh, yes. did I miss? What could I learn? I really appreciate that as a pastor and as somebody who cares about the community, you've leaned into this. Now we have another really high profile story of abuse sort of playing out in front of our eyes with the Steven Crowder situation. Yes. Um, and I think people are, are looking at it and thinking, this doesn't look right. Mm. I don't like this, but my understanding of abuse is physical hitting somebody and, you know, people may be a little bit confused as they look at that, but as you, from your experience now and what you've learned and from what you have observed, even in that situation, I would love to see, I'd love for you to point out what you have seen in some of that video that has been mm circulated and even the words that Stephen has shared like on his his different social media platforms video or even in writing what are some red flags that you are noticing that maybe the lay person that doesn't have experience in this would not maybe feel uncomfortable but wouldn't know what to think about it yes yeah, such i love the question such an important subject to to be talking about right now Wow, that the videos that I've seen are just tragic. And at the same time, I'm so thankful they exist and have been yeah. posted. Um, this, uh, I, I believe uh, Stephen's wife, Hillary, will be, um, she is going to help rescue a lot of other women who think that abuse really is just physical. Yeah. Um, but uh, from all accounts, he has not been physically abusive, but he's clearly been abusive. Uh, clearly verbally abusive, clearly emotionally manipulative, tons of coercive control. And, and I think what we really have to do is start with just defining what abuse actually is. Yeah. And it's a pattern of coercive behaviors designed to control another person. And that comes in all kinds of forms. It can come in the form of a look. It can come in the form of an attitude. It can come in the form of 
uh, withholding something that 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 should be for your spouse um, that that you know will it's almost used to punish or manipulate. Yeah, uh, it can be all sorts of things. And in that video, I saw I saw so much desperation, and I just saw so much sadness. And I saw um, in that video, Stephen, as he was sitting back, it looked like outside on his patio by the pool or something. Yeah, um, it, he just had this this smugness and this entitled attitude of, you know, you can't do anything right and I have to do everything and you just need to obey and you need to be obedient. He used all of these words that are sadly, they're words that are, that are often used against women, particularly women um, with evangelical backgrounds. Mm. Um, these are words that are used to basically say to the, the, the person, say to the wife most often, um, if you do these things that I tell you to do, you're on God's side. And if you don't do these things, then God is mad at you. And there's really nothing I can do. Yeah. Um, those are really dangerous words. Spiritual abuse is all kinds of dangerous because think about this. If you believe that God has you to do certain things that feel yucky and gross and violating you, but you think that you have to do that in order to be approved by God. You can see why people stay in these situations for, yeah. for a very, very long time. Because if God is against you, we've heard that if God is for you, who can be against you? But if God's against you, who can be for you? No yeah. one. That's the answer. No one can. Yeah. So that, that was just an atrocious video. Um, but my gosh, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. He, one of his, his response after that video got shared so widely alarmed me. And I, I wondered like what your thoughts were too, because he said that he now was, you know, considering, uh, unsealing documents. And he said, relating to finances and relevant medical records concerning mental health history and evaluations and depositions. And I thought, this is somebody who is trying to lay the groundwork to say she's crazy. She's crazy. 100%. This is one of the tactics of abusers that I see the most. Um, Drew Peterson did this to me when I was doing a ride along with him in his police car. I spent three or four hours with him one day. He called me and he said, Hey, Neil, you know, you've spent more time with Stacy than me recently. How about, how about uh, doing a ride along in my police car? And it sounded interesting anyway. And I thought, yeah, absolutely. So I went. And one of the very first things he said when I got in his car, he said, you know, I really need your help. Okay. Now that is something that appeals to the average pastor. Someone yeah. said, I need your help. So I was just like, oh my gosh, like, I'm a helper. Awesome. What is this? I'm, yeah. I, I'm a helper. That's, I, I'm a, I'm a two wing three Enneagram. So it's like, I just want, I want to help. Too. <laughs> yes. and you know, it's like, it's hard to say no to people. Um, when you think they really want help. So yeah. I, I, I said, yeah, what do you need? And he said, well, I just need to talk to you about Stacy. He, he said, I really think she needs to see a psychiatrist. And I just had this red flag go off. And I was like, why would you tell me that with no context? Then he says, he said, she just gets crazy sometimes. Um, and I'm like, oh, that's a weird way to talk about yourself. Yeah, felt like hmm, I was so uncomfortable. Then he took it a step further. And my gosh, this made me I I just felt like I was gonna I wanted to jump out of the car. And he said, you know how women are at that time of the month. And as soon as he said that, I looked at him. And I just said, I am really not okay with that. That is not an okay way. I would never talk about my wife that way. And that's that makes me uncomfortable. And as soon as I said that, he gave me this cold shoulder probably for the next five minutes. Didn't say a word to me. His demeanor changed. The smile disappeared. It felt, it literally felt cold and icy in the police car. So that is simply an MO. And I think that, that Steven Crowder is most likely planning to do exactly that. I think what he's, what he's saying to Hillary is um, if you keep this up, um, I'm going to do my best to destroy you, which is a, a very, very, common tactic. It's the same spirit that exists in every single abuser that I've seen. Man, I, I, that pattern, I feel like I've seen it as well. It feels like this insurance policy that they sort of, you know, really intentionally have conversations along the way with several people, uh, just in case at some point their partner 
realizes what's happening to them or pushes back against this terrible, abusive behavior so that they can say, I've been telling you all along, I've been telling you all along, this person is not good. Like I told you they're crazy. You can't trust them. Right. Um, Now, would a loving spouse talk that way? A loving, healthy spouse talk that way about their spouse? Never. 100% never. And and I hear people, I've seen people's excuses and just say, well, you wouldn't want your worst day put on social media. Well, that's true. (laughs) I wouldn't want my worst day put on social media, but that wouldn't be part of my worst day. My worst day could be, I could be upset about something. I can be angry about something. I can say things that I regret, but I'm not going to take words and actions and weaponize them against the person that I love the very most. And if you are with someone, anyone's with someone that is doing that, you are in an unsafe relationship. And, and, And you, I'm just telling you, abuse always escalates. It yeah. never, ever decreases. It may appear to decrease for a bit. It's not. It's spooling up and, and ready for the next go around. Yeah. I heard you say that you felt ill-equipped to deal with this. Yes. Um, as a pastor, you're going to often hear from people that are in struggling you know, relationships. Right. What, would, what do you want to tell to a pastor mm. that would be helpful for them for when the next time somebody comes to them and says something? Right. I, I think the first thing, um, but I, there's so much to talk about. So I, yeah. I, I think the, the first thing that I'd say to pastors is do a deeper dive on, on subjects that you probably talk about a lot. Um, and I think you're going to you're going to come to some different conclusions biblically. Yeah. Uh, the first one is forgiveness. Oh, my gosh. The, the amount of times that I hear pastors talk about forgiveness and throw out the, you know, seven, you know, seven times, 70 times mm-hmm. that you forgive. And, and oftentimes what they're doing is saying, um, basically they're sort of like projecting this idea that, that victims are becoming bitter and, um, you know, you've been forgiven for things, so you should forgive him for these things or her for these things. And that's just sin leveling. That's just saying you, you can't point out something that's wrong in another person because that finger is going to come right back to you. And that's very, very damaging to victims. Very, very damaging. It's not helpful. It's not healing. And what it ends up doing also is enabling sin in that person. So if you're a pastor, you don't want to be enabling sin in someone. You know that's that, that's against everything that you believe in. Right. So 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 look at forgiveness. Look at um, uh, reconciliation. Um, look at divorce. Um, as I the deeper dive that I've taken on divorce has helped me get a, a, a picture. From the whole of scripture rather than cherry picking a couple of verses yeah. that, that people will always weaponize against the, the offended party, the one that was hurt, the one that was cheated on. The, these are just a few of the things I'd say at the start. Now, when it comes specifically to abuse, what I'd say is believe the victim. Mm-hmm. Start with belief. Offer your verbal um, sorry for what you're going through, and I believe you. And why do I say that confidently? I say it confidently because uh Generally accepted statistics on abuse are two to seven percent of people who claim to be abused are lying. So let's just say, let, let's just say, um, if you, that, that what that in essence means, and what I've seen according to some research out of Phoenix Seminary by Stephen Tracy, and this is great stuff. He said it's more like two percent, and um, there's so much greater chance that a victim lies and says that they weren't abused. Yeah. Um, and, and have that not be true, then that they were abused. And why is that? Um, because there's so much blowback that comes to the person who blows the whistle. We yeah. see this over and over and over again. So believe her, believe him. One in three to one in four women in your congregation is a victim of abuse in her lifetime. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's common. And, and sadly, in religious communities, the, the statistic is no different. As a matter of fact, there's a study done by by Stephen Tracy from Phoenix Seminary. It said that the actual worst number of abusers are males who who are casual attenders of evangelical churches. Mm. Number one worst uh, percentage of abusers, more than anyone else. So the religion should change uh, abuse statistics, but it's not. You have to ask yourself why. And you have to ask yourself why in your church. Um, So believe her. 
help her get connected to safe people. Um, I'm not just talking about like a, a small group where, you know, there it's mixed with men and women and anything goes. What I'm talking yeah. about is uh, it might be someone in a next town who has support groups for survivors. It might be um, uh, it might be a local shelter. I highly recommend that churches get connected with shelters so that you can hear and learn about these things and and hear from counselors that are well versed in helping women get free from these dynamics. Um, start there. And and the third one that I that I always recommend is uh, documenttheabuse.com, mm-hmm. a simple simple resource. Uh, that came out of Stacey Peterson's disappearance uh, to help victims document their stories so that if in the worst case scenario, they have to go to court, they actually have, they have a notarized document and a video that details their abuse. It's Mm. super, super helpful. I have heard that, uh, and you can tell me if this is right or not. And I have said this. So if if I am wrong, I'm going to correct myself that abuse works because an abusive person is not a hundred percent evil, a hundred percent of the time to a hundred percent of the people. Um, if they were, it wouldn't be effective. Everybody would know what a terrible person they are. So what does an abuser look like? What are some commonalities of abusive people? I love how you said that. So good. I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm thinking about what you just said. Um, I believe what you said is accurate. Now it's it's tricky because what do abusers look like? Well, it's sort of like um, saying to someone, "How do you know when the devil's attacking?" They, well, yeah. the devil doesn't come with the the red suit and the pitchfork. Right. Uh, otherwise, we'd be like, "Wait, that's the devil. Stay yeah. away." Like we'd all know. Um, abusers are that same way. As a matter of fact, oftentimes they're the most. They they have the positions in society that are esteemed the most. We have to ask, why is that? Um, a, a lot of them have some narcissistic tendency. Some are legitimate sociopaths mm-hmm. and they seek out those positions where everybody adores them or everybody uh, gives them authority, or at least they have a perception of authority. So they go towards that. Um, they're often extremely charismatic. Um, so you have to look at, you have to look at these things and, and realize um, these are very effective communicators. Mm-hmm. Um, they're often very unkind behind the scenes to some people while okay. having the greatest reputation in public. Um, you, you can see, you could, how do you know this? Because a lot of times when people like a victim comes forward and says, this person abused me, the reaction, we could all share what the reaction tends to be. And it tends to be, but they've never done that to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, exactly. They haven't. Because abusers also tend to groom entire communities. Yeah. It's an important thing to recognize. They want the community to see their good side so that they are even safer and more insulated to to do all the evil things that they want to do to control the object of their wrath. So are there any red flags that we could look for, even though they would try to hide them? Anything that you have seen in your Mm -hmm. interactions? I, I love to watch body language. Okay. Um, uh, a lot of times and I'll, I'll see, I, I don't mean, I don't try to do this all the time, but I, I just notice body language. And mm-hmm. when I can see someone who's smiling a lot, they might smile, but they look uncomfortable physically. I, I'll just sort of take note of that. And if I see that over and over again, um, that will make me want to have a conversation with, with the individual that looks afraid. Or um, I'll take note of, uh, of a man who tends to be the one who says, we've never had a fight in our entire marriage. I'm just like, huh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. You never had a fight. So you never had a disagreement. So the question that I would ask, you know, I, I've had, I had a couple one time sit down with me and the man said that. And I said, so who gets their way all the time? Mm, because, that's a good question. Because you're never like humans have competing interests and we have different viewpoints and it's normal to hash things out in conversation. Arguments aren't aren't necessarily bad. You can have extremely healthy arguments uh, without name calling and manipulation. Um, But when you see someone that looks domineering, they might not appear to be on the surface, but when you, when you watch body language and you sort of read like, Hey, this person um, often says they're going to show up for something and then doesn't. There might be something going on behind the scenes that that you can check in on and just just yeah. ask a general question. Are you safe? Yeah, that is interesting. I, I feel like it's so easy, like you said, uh, people that are abusive will be more likely drawn to certain roles 
and they may be charming, like you said, and we can easily get distracted by charm. Um, But there's a difference between charm and the fruit of the spirit. And I just wonder if, if we sat down and thought through, okay, somebody was accused of something. Am I seeing this person as being loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, kind, self-controlled, all those things. And I, if there is a disconnect there, like that would be a red flag. I would think like super charming, but I don't see them being kind. I don't see them being patient. So good. Yeah. I don't think you can, I don't think you can fake the fruit of the spirit. No, I, I think people can do it for a very brief period of time. I, I, I've seen people, yeah. you know, but, but even then it feels false. Like there's yeah. something inside you that says something's off here. If you get that sense that, that you feel like there's something off, pay attention to it. Yeah. I really believe the Holy Spirit will speak uh, about things and about people and about situations. And I'm still, I'm still very good at gaslighting myself. Because yeah. I can, um, I can see a situation, and then I'll, I'll get that old adage in my head that um, if you're a hammer, you all you do is see nails. You know, yeah. you look down, and, and that can very occasionally be true. Yeah. Um, but the, but what's more true is that more often than not, that first sense that I get proves to be what I thought it was. Yeah. And and so when we get these uncomfortable feelings around people. Um, there's probably a reason for it. I, I believe that I believe the Lord wants us to see um, see fruit in people's lives and our lives. And and when you see someone who's not known for being consistently kind, but they give a lot of money, that should cause you some some hesitation. Like, why are you doing that? You're giving to these great causes, but you're you're a jerk. And we've all known that. It's it's the same. Yeah. As- People who know the Bible backwards and forwards, but are the meanest people around. I, I, I've, I've preached sermons on that in, in churches multiple times. And I see, I see people get really uncomfortable because they tend to want to equate knowledge with transformation. And it's just mm. simply not the case. Now for a quick break. Now back to the show. I know there are some people that are just better at having a radar for unhealthy people. I feel like my husband is one of those people. He just, mm. there's nothing... He just isn't impressed by people. And so I think he, if somebody tries to be impressive, he picks up on that (laughs) and he's just not, Yeah, he's not impressed. And I think maybe that is one of the things. And because you are so outspoken about this issue, there are some people that will feel defensive probably and feel like they need to impress you or, or prove themselves to you in some way. And somebody that is a good person won't really feel the need. Nope. To like no. prove themselves. No, you're you're exactly right. You, you know, it's it sort of. Um, I, I remember when I was younger, I, I I had there was someone in my life that would just regularly say, "Well, you know me, I'm a people person. You know me, I, I just love people." I'm just like, I don't think that per, it wasn't a bad person at all, but the yeah. person was trying to project an image that that they just weren't. You know, it's like if you're if you're a people person, people know that. You don't yeah. have to tell everybody. If you're really, really smart, you don't have to tell people what your grades are, what your your test scores were. Like you're just smart. Everyone knows it. Um, yeah. And and if you're if you're a kind person, you don't have to tell people you're kind. Oh, that's good. So good. So I know men and women both can be abused, but uh, more often I see women being uh, the ones that are harmed. So you know, I would love for you to speak to those of us that have friends, you know, women that have other friends that maybe what are some signs we can look for that maybe one of our friends is in an unhealthy or possibly unsafe relationship? Gosh, great question. Um, I I love that. I love that you're looking for that. Um, Just the fact that you're looking for that. If you just have, if you just sort of go into this if you have a mindset of saying, you know what, statistically speaking, there are people that I know who are being abused and yeah. God wants me to stand on the side of the oppressed every time. Yeah. And this isn't about condemning. It's not that people can't change, it's th- but the reality is most people who abuse don't. So yeah. I think we have, we have this tension of, can the Lord do anything? Yes. Yeah. He can do anything except, <laughs> except um, change the heart of someone who won't admit they're wrong. 
Yeah. He won't do that. He, he gives us a measure of free will. So just the fact that you're looking, you, you're just, you're, you're, you're sort of recognizing like, I'm going to have people in my life who are being abused. So look for some of those signs. If they're withdrawing from friendships mm. uh, and you notice that it seems connected to this new relationship that they're in, take note of that. If, if they, um, you ask them out to dinner and they say yes, but you were going to go to one restaurant that's $20 a person. And they're like, actually, you know what? I only have, you know, $5. Can we go there? Or just take note of things that, that might not have been normal in the past and, and just be, be able to sit with that person. And depending on how close you are, mm-hmm. um, you, you can ask, you can ask um, situationally appropriate questions. Yeah. You know, you can sit and just say, Hey, you know, if you've had a friend for a long time, you know, five plus years that you're very close to that you, that you've had deep conversations with, you could just say, Hey, I've just noticed it feels a little bit like you, you've withdrawn. Is everything okay? Just yeah. leave it open-ended. Is, is there anything that you need to talk about? Um, hey, I care about you. And I want you to know that if something, if something's bothering you, if you're unsafe, um, you can share that with me. Yeah. I, I just want you to know, like, I'm here for you. And if you don't want to talk now, that's okay too. I'll be ready when you're ready. Yeah. So just letting them know that they are in charge. They have agency. Um, they're in charge of their story. They're in charge of how it comes out. And you're just there. You're safe and you're ready for them when they're ready. Is it a typical um, healthy relationship if somebody uses a lot of permission language saying, I don't know if I'm allowed. I don't know if my husband would allow me to do that. Gosh. I, I hear stuff like that all the time and I am shocked at how normal it can be in, in Christian relationships. Mm. Um, I, I hear that and I'll hear other people say, you know, if someone, usually a situation, there's someone there who will say, oh, permission. Well, that's weird. And, and I'll watch how the room dynamics shift and, and yeah. several other people will say, well, it's healthy to, you know, have good conversations with each other and you should know what the other person's spending. And, and I'm just like, what well, seems, it seems like people are trying to surround, um, uh, <laughs> a, a, a weird theology, uh, uh, an unsafe one. Yeah. Um, there's nothing normal about that. My wife and I respect each other. And if we make big purchases, like we kind of know what our budget is. Yeah. And if there's something that she wants to buy, that's big, she's probably going to give me a call or text or, or usually it's just a text that the heads up. Hey, I just bought this. I just want you to know. So you don't go out and spend money today too. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll do the same with her, but, but my gosh, like, do I feel like I have to check in with my wife if I spend 50 bucks? No. And guess what? She doesn't either because that's normal. And, And one of the things that we've said since the very beginning, when we had our kids, we have three daughters. What, what we've said is, um, our money, um, my money is mom's money. Her money's mine. Like it's, it's all ours. So you don't yeah. have to say, dad, thanks for buying me this. It's not my money. It's her money too. And, and her money's mine. Like we, it, it's one big pot and we use it for each other and for the well-being of our, of our family. It's not like, well, I, you know, I make this much, so I get to spend this much. No, that's, that's ridiculous. That's just a ridiculous way to live. Yeah. Unhealthy. Yeah. I can see how some people might, if they've come out of a really unhealthy relationship in the past where, you know, finances were weaponized against them, that they may have some boundaries just for their safety, for their feeling of safety. But I would think that would be something that that couple then came together to agree on. Like you want to honor that person's past history and you say, absolutely you get to have your checking account and I am never going to question you about that because I understand it's been used against you. Yes. Um, That's, that, that is, that's what love does. Yeah. You know, um, Bob Goff says, uh, he wrote the book love does and he's just talking about what love looks like. And I think that's a great example. Like you make allowances for each other. My wife had to, for me, I, I, I was, I've been in a a relationship that's weird for me. It, It still feels weird for me to even say this. Um, but I was in a relationship where I was, I was verbally berated a lot before I was Mm -hmm. married and, and I did, I never thought of it as abusive and, but I just thought, well, you know, I feel like she's kind of hard to be with at times. And so, so a lot of times she would just kind of let me have it with things. If I showed up a few minutes late to pick her up, she'd just 
light into me and it was just mm. awful. Like I just felt so small. And the first probably two months of dating my wife, I remember going to her apartment. And if I was even one minute late as she'd open the door, I would just be super apologetic. I'm sorry. I value yeah. your time. Like, and she, <clears throat> the first couple of times she just goes, Oh uh, yeah, no big deal. That's okay. But I could tell it was weird. Like she thought it was weird that I was acting that way. Yeah. And a couple months in, she sat down with me one night really late and she said, Hey, I got to ask you about something. I'm like, yeah, I got really nervous. And, and she said, you just seem like overly apologetic if you're one minute late, two minutes late, five minutes late. And she said, did someone give you a hard time about that in the past? And that just opened up this incredible wow. long conversation, like till four in the morning. And she just listened. We drank coffee together and she listened and she looks at me at the end and she said, I just want you to know I'm not her. Yeah. And it was mind blowing. It was mind blowing for me. And we just got so much closer at that point. And when I, when I, I, re, I really remember thinking, oh my gosh, I have taken these, these things that happened to me and I'm projecting those on her. But she didn't get mad about it. She just said it in the kindest, sweetest, most in, inviting yeah. way that, hey, you don't have, you're safe with me. Yeah. I, I'm not going to treat you that way. That was a game changer in, in my relationship and super healing. Yeah. A healthy partner won't weaponize your wounds against right. you. Yeah. They'll be especially kind and protect you. Yes. Yes. An abusive it, person won't do that. No, no. They, they will oftentimes abusive people will want to get in and know your story to use parts of your story against you. And, and they'll say things like, that's always what you do because that's always what you've done. Yeah. They, they take things and they make them absolutes and, and they try to make you feel very small. And, and oftentimes they try to make you feel like they're the only one who would ever put up with you because you're just so ridiculous and you're not good enough. And you're not smart enough. You're not thin enough. You're not pretty enough. And um, you couldn't even survive on your own. Um, these are very, very common things that, that women tell me that they hear in their relationships. But then they'll say, but I, I can't leave because you know what you know what the Bible says about divorce. God mm -hmm. hates divorce. And I love when they finally let me in on that because then I get to help them um, untangle and they get to, they get to talk about yeah. uh, what's real, like, like what, what by the Bible actually says and how they're not going against the Lord by breaking free from someone who already broke the marriage, um, yeah. the, the, the sacredness of their marriage by being abusive. Yeah. I so, saw you were on Gretchen Baskerville with Gretchen yes. Baskerville at some point and she wrote the uh, life-saving divorce and she's done so much work into the theology and yeah. the nuance and the context of divorce has been so helpful. Yes. And, and just reframing that this is God's rescue plan, a rescue yeah. hatch he's given out of his love and compassion for people yes. that have been harmed. He doesn't hate that you use it. No, he doesn't hate it. Um, now, now, like, can we just say in general, like divorce, God's sad about divorce, but he's yeah. not sad because he's not sad because a victim says no more. He's yeah. sad because someone did wrong to that yeah. person. Yeah. The divorce is calling time of death on something that's already right. died. That's exactly right. Yeah, I love, that's a great way to say it. That's a, I won't forget that. I'll, I have this image of a doctor, you know, yeah. coming in and saying time of death, you know, that's really, that, that really is in essence what, what that is. And it's just incredibly important, incredibly important for pastors and leaders and friends to know these things. Like, what, you know, everyone knows that God hates divorce, or they think they know what that means, but almost no one and almost no pastors that I talk to know the very next part. It says that God detests a man who cloaks himself in violence. You know, mm. this was not, this was not scripture that was um, intended to be used against women who were being abused and mistreated by their spouses. It was to protect women from men who are discarding their spouses for the next model. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good word. Um, when I had talked to Gretchen, she said that she has this uh, survey that people could take, which I thought was really interesting because she said not everybody that's in an abusive relationship even realizes that they are. They wouldn't, if some if someone were to come and say, all right, I'm speaking to people that are experiencing abuse, they would not put themselves in that category. 
um, because they have a really specific idea of what that is. And so have you found that to be the case that sometimes people don't even know that they are being abused? Like you had said early on that Stacy had said, oh yeah, this is normal, right? People just talk like that. Yeah. You know, like like minimizing her experience. Oh yes. Yes. Extremely common, extremely common. Um, So many people that I'll sit down with, they'll say, they'll say things kind of like what Stacy said to me at the very start where she said, you know, I think what we're experiencing are just regular marriage issues, but I I really want to talk with someone about it. Um, Well, I love that she wanted to talk to someone about it. I do. But that's also a pretty significant indicator. It's sort of like a check engine light on your car. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of telling you, like, if I feel like I need to talk about what's going on in my marriage, I, I need to talk about what's going on in my marriage. Yeah, and, yeah. and you need to sit down. My, my recommendation is sit down with someone who really is well-versed in the dynamics of domestic violence. You can't assume that a pastor is going to know. As a matter of fact, most pastors don't know. I yeah. want that to change. I'm working towards that changing, but most pastors don't know. Um, and, and honestly, Many licensed professional counselors don't know either. And, and, and I often know that when they invite the couple to marriage counseling and they say, well, how can I know when I haven't heard both sides? Yes. Uh, I, let's talk about that because I yes. have heard people that are experts in this say couples counseling is the last thing that should be happening it, when that seemed to be the default for a pastor that would say, yes. come on, let's do marriage counseling, come yeah. in together. Why yeah. is that a problem? Well, it's such a huge problem because what happens is when you when there, when abuse is indicated and, and why uh, why licensed professional counselors that that understand these dynamics will know it's unethical to have um, to have to, to counsel a couple call it couples counseling when abuse is indicated because the abuser is just collecting information they're collecting information mm-hmm. they might admit something very small so that the counseling will continue. They, they might say, well, I do lose my temper sometimes. What they didn't say is that they threw their spouse down the stairs. Hmm. They might say that, you know, I, I am a little, I am a little tight with money. And what they're actually doing is giving $5 for, for, to their spouse to spend wherever they want over the course of the next month. You know, it's this, this so generous wherever you want $5. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you can, you can spend this wherever you want. Oh, you also have to buy new clothes for the kids. So you might want to check the garage sales, that kind of thing. These are very common things for, for them to say. Um, so uh, it's not indicated because they are just collecting information and they will take that information and use it against you when you get home. It will be weaponized against you. They are just collecting information mm. to further abuse you and hold you down. So and let's hold say, that. Yeah. Let's talk about that though, along with the fact that someone doesn't necessarily know they're in an abusive relationship. So they're not going to indicate they're in an abusive relationship. They're going to say, Hey, pastor Neil, yeah. uh, I think we need marriage counseling. What yes. would your, you know, couples yeah. counseling, what would your first thing be first response be thinking? I'm not sure what the dynamics are, but I don't want to make it yeah. worse. I, I would just ask a lot of questions like, what is it? I, I'd love to just chat with you first about this. And love, can you just, I, I want to get to know who you are. I, I think even just doing that, um, it, it really, it bestows upon the person that you're sitting with the sense of self and worth. And those are really important things for us to, to feel like we are a, a person individual from our spouse with specific needs that aren't necessarily our spouse's needs. So giving agency to that person just to say, Hey, I just, I want you to know, like, I care for you and I want to know what's going on with you. And a lot of times just doing that, something changes in the countenance of the person that I sit with. And if it changes drastically, I'll just ask more questions. I would just say, I would just probably say something like this. It seems like you've got a lot of feelings around this. Would you mind, would you mind sharing with me? Like, what, what are you sensing right now? What are you feeling? It seems like you went somewhere. Would you, would you be willing to share with me a little bit more about that? And if, if it even approximates abuse, I, I, I will stop and say, hey, I, I just want you to know that I think that, that what you're sharing with me, um, you're indicating things that, that don't feel normal or healthy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would, I'm not going to sit down with you and your husband um, because I, I, it would actually, I believe, be detrimental to your well-being. Do you, is that okay with you? You know, and and mm-hmm. and put it back and give them that permission to say what they have to say. 
Um, but it, yes, it is incumbent upon the person doing the counseling to stay far away uh, from, from um, falling into the, the two sides argument and say, well, it's just couples counseling and then trying to get each person to own what they've done. There aren't two sides in abuse. There yeah. aren't. Uh, there's there's a very little. I, I don't believe in the whole mutual abuse thing. I don't believe it. Um, I saw people try to do that with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And, and I saw all these people racing to Johnny Depp's side and, and just saying, he's the victim. Look at this. Look, look at this poor guy. And it's like, listen, I understand you like him as an actor, yeah. but I don't think you understand the dynamics of abuse very well. And yeah, I, appreciate I, I, you see, saying that. I see the tide turning finally. Unfortunately, it's, it's too late for Amber Heard because- yeah. She has this huge judgment against her now. And I mean, it's just. And if you aren't perfect and you're dealing with somebody that's abusive and narcissistic, it's really, really difficult. It's so you just need to be perfect. Right. You just get gaslighted by yourself and by others. I had asked some friends for some ideas of like, what's some, what's some things I should ask Neil. And um, one friend said, could you ask, like, why do you think pastors don't advocate for survivors? And do you think, and she suggested a couple of things, like, do you think it's because they don't know enough information about the dynamics of abuse or is it, is it theology that Mm -hmm. they feel like they need to protect the institution of marriage or something else? Are they themselves unhealthy people? What, what have you seen? And what do you think? Oh gosh. I've seen all of those. <laughs> yes. Um, what, what I'd say is I don't believe that most pastors are, are willfully um, harmful uh, yeah. to victims. I don't believe that. Um, some people do believe that. And believe me, I, I validate experiences. I, I'm not taken away from yeah. people who've been harmed by pastors. Um, I've been harmed by pastors. Um, I know lots of people who have been. So that's a yeah. real thing. Um, From my experience, though, pastors stay away from this because they're really busy with other things. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a I had a I had a conversation with the pastor one time and I'm telling you, he is great guy in every way. And I shared um, just just sort of my heart to to educate pastors um, on the subject of abuse. And he looked at me and I'll never forget this because he just said it with the most genuine smile. He goes, Neil, he said, I'm so thankful that you're so into this. I was just like. Okay. I'm, like, I'm like, I'm like, and is this, is this where you're about to say something that I'm going to remember forever? <laughs> and he said, I'm just a little bit more into evangelism. Well, and I was just like, oh, wow. Okay. It, it took me a little bit to, to process that. And I just thought, my gosh, and I know this guy, he's a good hearted guy. And if he opened his eyes and decided to look into this, he would be an advocate. It would just be something that he would do but he's really busy. And, and in his mind, it doesn't really happen in his church. Mm-hmm. Um, theologically speaking, um, there are a, a lot of teachings that, that pastors grab a hold of and they just haven't looked any further. And they're really, really scared of making God mad. And, and that's a genuine thing. There are, there are pastors that are holding on to ideas from scripture or, or what I would argue the twisting of scripture. And they think that well, God said this, so no matter what, I have to hold on tightly. And what I'd say to those pastors is, I see your heart to be right with God, but being right with God is not going to be harmful to people. Wrestle with that. Wrestle yeah. with that tension. Yeah. And, and finally, there are abusive leaders. And abusive leaders want to stay as far away from conversations about abuse as possible. Yeah. Um, there, but yes, I, I see all three of those. Um, I have examples of all of them, but what I say is the vast majority are just busy and they haven't, they just haven't, it hasn't captured their hearts yet. Um, and what I'd say to them is please open your eyes, please open your eyes, become a safe place for victims of, of abuse. I promise you, God wants you to help his daughters be free. There are safe people. There are safe pastors, but you can't assume that they are. Um, I, I would love to connect with anybody who's just saying, you know what, I, 
help, help me to figure out what a safe pastor looks like. If you reach out to me, I would, I would be honored to help you do that. Um, I know of some safe churches um, and I want churches to be safe. And if your church, you're not sure if it's safe, but, but you think you have a, there's a pastoral staff that would be interested in taking steps to becoming safe. I would be more than willing to help them just get mm-hmm. me connected to them. And churches, if you're just saying, hey, we're dealing with a situation that that we we're, we are not sure what to do, but we know there needs to be change, um, reach out. I'm, I'm 100% confident that I that I can help you take some steps um, that, that you you don't have to be counselors to do this. You just have to be aware and know simple things that make victims feel safe. Yeah. I appreciate that so much. Thank you for your time. Uh, Thank you for your compassion. I'm really, really grateful, Neil. Is there anything else that you wanted to say before we wrap this up? I I would just say again, I just have to say again, um, Amy, thank you for this. Um, Your questions are insightful. I love what you're doing. Um, I I want more people to have these conversations. I, I love what you said at the very start, that you're speaking out and saying hard things even if it costs you. Um, I know what that means. Um, and I know yeah. that uh, there is blowback that comes from all sorts of places. Um, often the, the unexpected ones hurt the most, uh, but it's happening. Speak up, share your story. If you are, if you're someone who is, who is fortunate enough to be on the receiving end of one of these stories, believe them, mm-hmm. validate them and help them to to connect with people in safe community. Thank you. So appreciate that. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Pastor Neil Shorey. I know this is a heavy topic. For some of you, this is personal. And for others, this is new information you're digesting. Thank you for caring enough about those who have been harmed and are currently being harmed to listen and learn. This could save a life. I'm very grateful. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash untangled faith to access the bonus audio with Neil. And if you're on social media, I would love to keep this conversation going over on Twitter or Instagram or through the Facebook page. I'm untangled faith on Instagram and Facebook and I'm faith untangled on Twitter. The untangled faith podcast is hosted and edited by me, Amy Fritz. This podcast is made possible by the support of my Patreon community. A special thanks to producers Michelle Pionic, Phil and Susan Purdue, Pam Forsythe, and Shelley Taylor. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.